Welcome to today's Lots of Matzah Pizza Podcast. Today's guest is Kurt Hill, the general manager for the Western Hockey League franchise Edmonton Oil Kings. Prior to taking the job with the Oil Kings, Kurt was the in, was in charge of the Western League's uh, player development program, and he had a year stint with the Chicago Blackhawks in their scouting department, amateur scouting department. He's also had a, a decorated uh, playing career in the Western Hockey League, played university hockey in Canada, as well as one year in the USHL. So today's show should be a very informative and fun show to spend some time with Kurt. Hope you enjoy it. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Well, good afternoon, Mr. Hill. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tony. How are you doing? Great, thank you. Uh, you have a small child, a boy, right? About a year and a half years old, maybe? Yeah, yeah. he's he's a busy guy. He's just at that age now where he's pulling absolutely everything out of every cupboard, so it's a lot of fun keeping up with him. So you don't even have to work out, right? Just chasing him all day, you're going to get your steps in, right? Yeah, I'm getting my miles in. I'm pretty much trained, training for a half marathon every day, keeping up with him. So, it's, uh, <laughs> no, it's been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Well, we go back uh, five, six years now. Um, you were we first met when you were in charge of is it is the proper title like player development for the Western Hockey League? Is that what was your exact title? Yeah, it was player recruitment, recruitment, and I did some player development as well, but primarily the uh, recruitment of the players to the league. And what is that? What is a day to day job for player recruitment, player development for the league? What what does that title entail? Yeah, I mean, the primary responsibility was, you know, it was having presence at events, so, you know, any type of major tournaments in uh, Western Canada and some of the major tournaments in the Western United States. Um, you know, I'd go down there and give information out on the Western Hockey League, have information booths, have uh, information sessions with the teams, you know, be a point person for parents and uh, the kids if they have any questions about the leagues to help further clarify um, help identify talent for the Western Hockey League, and uh, you know that was that was pr- primarily the the responsibility that you had when you went to events. And then uh, the league also set up their own events where they'd have combines, and you know you were at the forefront of the day to day operations of the combine, and then running the events when you would have them in the different cities again. So uh, yeah, you know a lot of identification of those players, and then. Leading into the draft, you know, you're kind of the point person for all the scouts on getting all information um, centralized for them, almost acting like a central scouting for the Western Hockey League, centralizing that information so the scouts have it available to them for uh, drafting. Did you do the when when it became draft day? Where I'm sure it was a big day for you at working working at the league. Were you involved in the marketing too, or you know, first overall pick? And you go out on Twitter and you see the picture of the kid. Was that part of your job at responsibility too, having all their proper information, what clubs they played for? Was that part of your job too? Yeah, exactly. Having all that information centralized and uh, having it available. We had a team. Obviously, a staff at the Western Hockey League that worked, and you know the the communications team, social media teams, who would blast a lot of that stuff out. Uh, uh, usually, at the during the draft, what they had was a live show from the first round. So myself, I would be on the live show with uh, 
you know, hosted the show and then I would be kind of doing an analysis of each player who got picked and the team that picked them. And, you know, um, like you would see during the NHL draft. So I believe when you worked for the league, you lived in Calgary, correct? Yeah, that's, that's correct. Yeah. I lived in Calgary and that's where the league's head office is there. So they got a staff of about uh, 20 working out of the head office there. And uh, with uh, it being pretty central to obviously the landscape of the Western hockey league is quite big. When you go from Manitoba all the way to Vancouver down, you know, into Portland, Oregon, it's, it's a wide area and um, having the office pretty much central in the middle, gives you that opportunity to travel uh, to all the various locations and, Calgary was good as well because obviously there's a franchise there in the Calgary headman. Yeah, Brandon and uh, Brandon Manitoba to uh, Portland, Oregon is a quite a quite a bus ride, isn't it? <laughs> quite a hike. <laughs> you definitely want to pick up a few games on the way there and on the way home when you're making that trip. I know. I can only imagine some of the travel there. Um, so you had a, a, a getting back to your playing career. You grew up in Winnipeg. Um, what was it like growing up? When, what was hockey like in the, in the late '90s uh, versus what it is twenty years twenty years later? Uh, growing up in, in Winnipeg, playing as a youth. Well, you know, playing. I guess playing in Winnipeg is a lot like growing up in Minnesota and playing hockey there. And the time when I was growing up, you know, it was still predominant. Outdoor rinks were still really popular. I remember in my early days, yeah, you had some of your skates were indoors, but a lot of your practices and even tournaments when you were young were you would play those on the outdoor rink. And, you know, you'd spend so much time out there as a kid away from your team sanctioned events as well. You know, you would walk down to the outdoor rink at night and play with your buddies, play shimmy and pick up hockey, which was fantastic. And I don't know if it's still the same like that anymore, really. And, and, you know, the kids have so much training and extra stuff that they do now with their, their teams or their, strength coaches and all that were back in the day it was primarily just the outdoor rink and you know you playing with your buddies so um I think it was a lot like growing up in Minnesota you know my area Winnipeg I played for my kind of my club team there wasn't a lot of travel involved during the season you would you'd play throughout the city of Winnipeg and compete and then kind of once the season was over um back then there was summer hockey was kind of getting going then and you know every big city had one or two teams only I mean Primarily everybody now plays summer hockey or spring hockey in some way, shape, or form. But back yeah. then it was, you know, there was just, there was only a couple teams per city. And these teams were, they were powerhouses. I remember growing up in Winnipeg, we had a, we had a really good team. There were two teams, the Manitoba Mighty Moose and then the Winnipeg Junior Jets. And we had, a, we had powerhouses of teams and um, the, some of the best hockey, you know, from my childhood was when I was playing in those spring tournaments and, uh, there were some elite level players that I first got introduced to and got to play with at a young age. So you, you would have like maybe the, the biggest, the highest level winter hockey is maybe playing in a provincial championship type game, but that was it, right? You weren't traveling from province to province as a 10, 11, 12 year old. No, no, it was just pretty much your, you know, you, you didn't even really do much at that age in regards to provincials either. I remember, you know, it's mostly the city championships, when I grew up, we didn't even really travel outside of the, the city to play very often. Maybe the odd exhibition game and that. It really, you didn't start playing outside of the city until um, probably really until we hit Pee Wee. And then Brandon was probably the only team we started playing. And then once we got to midget hockey at 15, then you primarily started playing against the entire province. So, um, and things opened up a lot more. 
Has the path changed very much? Uh, you know, you, you, you obviously played in the Western League, but you probably played midgets prior to going to the Western Hockey League. You know, was the draft for 14-year-olds back when you were there, or was it a little bit later? You know, it was. It was It was the same. Um, and then the midget programs were primarily, you know, that side of it hasn't really changed. I really would think the, the biggest change in from when I played in minor hockey is probably like 10 years old down where, you know, there's the leagues are a little bit more, you know, you play more provincially now, you, you have way more kids at that age have trainers. And like, I talked about all the extracurricular stuff you do with just hockey alone. We didn't really have that when I was growing up. I mean, you just pretty much played hockey and that was it. You didn't really even think about starting to get a trainer until you got drafted to the Western hockey league. And I mean, that's really when, strength and conditioning coaches started coming in was probably right around the time I got drafted before that there wasn't a ton of that for minor hockey players. So um, I think that side of the game's changed significantly. Um, The amount of extra work now, if you really want to be a good hockey player, you have to put in where before, you know, you, you had, you took your summers off and now it's changed a lot in that sense. So growing up in Winnipeg, I'm, I'm looking at your dates here. 1996, the, the Winnipeg Jets moved out of Winnipeg to, to Phoenix. What was that like to you personally, and what was it like to the community losing an NHL franchise? Well, I was pretty young. I was eight years old, and I remember, I remember my dad and my mom used to take me to games at the Winnipeg Arena when, they, when I was pretty young, and the Jets were obviously still playing. My dad's favorite player um, growing up was well at the time when I was growing up was Yammer Yager. So every time Pittsburgh came to town, I'd always go watch the Winnipeg Jets play the Pittsburgh Penguins because I was his favorite player. So I remember going to a lot of those games, and I remember when we lost the team, it was you know I was pretty young to really understand the whole magnitude of it. But I remember the city was very was devastated, and they tried to fundraise enough money to keep the team. And it they were was, like passing the hat, was, weren't they? Literally, they were passing oh, yeah. the hat kind of thing. I remember seeing video of that. Yeah, they did. Yeah, everybody, the fans, pretty much the whole city was putting money in, and they didn't, obviously didn't raise enough to save the team, and it left, and obviously, I'm sure everybody knows how much they missed it when they came back, and the support that that team has now in that city is, you know, fantastic, and one of the, they, they really support that team now, and especially with those playoff runs they had, too, those are huge for them. Yeah, it's great for hockey. So as a youth, um, you mentioned to me many, many times that uh, you were paired with likely one of the best NHL players today, Jonathan Taves, was was a Winnipeg kid. You guys got a chance to play together. What was it like to have a kid like that on a team? I'm sure he was laser-focused even at that age. (laughs) Oh, he was was outstanding. I mean, pretty much from the time. So within the regular, during the regular season when you were just on your club team, he was – not on my team. So um, every year, pretty much his team won the city championships, I think for almost like 10 years straight. So (laughs) nobody could beat these guys. They they would just win every year because he was, he was just that good. And they had, they had good teams all the time. And then, you know, in spring hockey, that's where I got the opportunity to play with him a little bit. And then as we, as we grew up and got to play for team Canada West at the under 17s on the same team. So got some of that uh, um, time playing together, but yeah, he was you know, wow, everybody talks about him. He's an exceptional leader and just the talent and the skill level that he had and everything he brought to the team. And I mean, the biggest thing that I remember about him was just that how much he wanted to win and he would do whatever it took to win. And, um, you know, there was no losing. I, I don't, I don't remember losing too many games when, when I had Jonathan Taves on my team, that's for sure. 
So you, when you were growing up, uh, you guys would make trips down to the Twin Cities and, and play against the Minnesota Machine 88s, which is somewhat of a legendary team down here. I, I believe they had uh, Jamie McBain and, and Oposo and Peter Mueller, those types of guys. What were those battles like when you were 10, 12 years old? Yeah, I remember we, we met up with them a couple times at a few tournaments. Um, you know, we were the Winnipeg Junior Jets and they're the Minnesota 88s. Um, the machine, however you want to call them, and I remember we; those were the most epic games that we would ever have. Like they were, we had a great team, stacked team. They had a stacked team, and it just seemed like we would both easily get through the tournaments and end up playing each other in the final every year. So, I, it was um, the next season that a bunch of the parents got together from both groups, and they said, you know what, we're just gonna we end up playing each other in the final anyways. We both got the best team, so why don't we just? play against each other and they started setting up these showcase weekends where we'd maybe go down there and play three games or they'd come up to Winnipeg and we'd play three games and you know that was that was great like those series I remember being legendary and just how competitive they were and and back then I mean you got pretty it was pretty much Taze versus Mueller and those guys were the two marquee guys and they had some other guys that kind of ended up going on to the NHL as well we had some great players that ended up having really good junior careers but I just I remember those rivals that was like our summer hockey rivalry within, you know, the Taze versus Mueller matchups, which were always, always great. And even after I remember us having barbecues with their team and getting to know the other players a little bit and stuff. So it was, uh, I remember my childhood. Well, that's pretty cool. All right. Uh, let's fast forward to your playing days. Uh, we're in, in the WHL, you played a handful of years, a couple different teams. Walk through what your you, what you remember leaving home and and and, and setting out to a, a professional hockey career? Yeah, no, I remember getting. I was. I remember being in high school. I was in computer class, and you know the the WHL draft started, and then I moved into gym class after the first round went. And I remember being in gym class when you know my gym teacher kind of told me he had been watching on the computer. He's like, he got drafted, so he ended up getting drafted. And I was like, well, who, what team took me? And he said, Kelowna, which really surprised me because Kelowna was one of the teams that had never talked that hadn't talked to me before the draft and um so, you know I was really excited about getting selected by them and you know then I went out to the city and Kelowna is an absolute beautiful place well, that was it's my thing is like you're, you're living in Winnipeg you get Kelowna does Kelowna mean anything to you as a 14 year old at that point no not really I didn't really know much about it and I mean back then we didn't travel a ton um I remember when I was probably about 10 years old, my parents took me to Banff and that's kind of the biggest, one of the biggest family trips we ever had was we drove out to Banff and we stayed there for a week, you know, and it was beautiful out there and we spent a lot of time mountain biking, canoeing, all that kind of stuff. And, but no, I had never been to Kelowna. I had never really heard of it other than the fact that they had a team. I knew, I didn't know much about the city and, you know, once I got out there, it's a tough place not to fall in love with. It's one of the most beautiful places in, in Canada. And at that time, the, the franchise was, in a, in a real good spot. It's a great franchise in the league. And they were one of the best teams at that time after they were in the Memorial cup that year. And the year after um, I got drafted, they hosted the Memorial cup and won it in Kelowna. So um, my first year in the Western hockey league, I moved away. I made the team at 16. Um, it was a big transition, obviously it's for the first half of the years long, just learning, getting accustomed to a new school and, you know, getting used to living away from home. But I felt like, once you get through that first half and you go home at Christmas and then you come back, you're ready, you're, you know, you're ready to go. And you're kind of in that mindset. Okay. I'm good to go. I'm, I'm a junior hockey player now. I understand what this is all about. And I remember that first year we had a, we had a great team. We ended up winning the, the Western hockey league championship and we went to the, 
Memorial Cup in London, and that was a that was a special year because it was the NHL walkout year. Yes. So, I, since it was the NHL walkout year, you can imagine not only in the Western League but the Memorial Cup, all those superstars that could have been playing in the NHL were sent back. Yes. To junior playing junior hockey, so it was a deep league, right? On, it was a deep league, and that was it was a really deep league, and you know we had a we had Shea Weber on our team. I remember when we went to the Memorial Cup. Ramuski was there and Sidney Crosby was on Ramuski and Corey Perry was on London. So it was a star studded Memorial cup with high, high end players, which was a amazing experience. So for our listeners, you've said Memorial cup five or six times now, just back up, back up a little bit. What is the Memorial cup for uh, your novice listener here in Minnesota? Yeah. So what the Memorial cup is, is it's a tournament at the end of the, the season that features the championship team from the Western Hockey League, the Ontario Hockey League, and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And then there's a team that hosts the event. So there's four teams at the Memorial Cup, and it's the three championship teams and the host team. So uh, that's really the, the holy grail of junior hockey. And, you know, every every kid in Canada's dream that wants to play Major Junior Hockey is to win the Memorial Cup. It's one of the one of the toughest trophies to win. And in sports, is in hockey, you got to go through four best of, best of seven rounds of playoffs like they would in the, in the National Hockey League. And then at the end of that, you got to go to a tournament with the three league champions. <laughs> is it, is, are, they single limit, are they single elimination once you get to the Memorial Cup? Uh, you play around Robin. You play around Robin and then two, three plays in the semifinal and then the first team gets them by and then you play the final. Okay. And then four gets knocked out, you say? Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. I got it. All right. Um, and then has does this explain to me this host thing? I was like, oh yeah, they're hosting the Memorial Cup this year, so meaning they get a freebie, right? Does this host team ever win it? Like come in and knock everybody off and win it in front of their home crowd? Does that happen very often? Well, there's a protocol to go through. They go through hosting. You got to put a bid in, and one of the one of the parts that's taken in consideration of the bid is you know, the strength of your team, where's your team going to be at that point. So oh, I see teams that win the, yeah, they often, the team that wins the bid, they are going to have strong teams already. And then usually if you're hosting the Memorial cup, you load up, you end up making deals and you do whatever you can to have a, an elite team. And a lot of the times the Memorial cup host team will end up winning the league. And then the team that gets second in the league will end gets up in. The rep gets in. So it's uh, oh, very often like, you know, there's been a lot of situations where the host team has won the won the event for sure. I've and seen on home ice, right? Yeah, I I know that, that was the thing. I'm like, oh, like they got a really big advantage there playing on home ice. Well, I, I've seen there's some, actually some situations where the host team will get knocked out early in the playoffs, first or second round, and then they have to wait six weeks to play. Until they play the Memorial Cup. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've seen some of these games. the The crowds are just insane. I mean, it, it makes an NHL. Almost as, as as insane as an NHL playoff atmosphere, don't you think? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I think you know the 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 most the best crowds would primarily be within the league playoffs. Those are because there's intense rivalries and in that Memorial Cup. Once you get there, it's almost like a festival event. Like there still is that feel with the hometown team and that, but it's a lot of people in Canada. It's, they all travel in from across the country to take part in the Memorial Cup every year. So you got a little bit of more of that festival feel once you get to that event. So it, it's it's almost like the equivalent of a, uh, the Frozen Four, where you, you it's a weekend. Is it, how long is it? Is it a week long? Weekend long? How, how how fast do they get these games in? Yeah, it's about a week. 
Okay, so this is a week-long week. thing. So it's a vacation almost for someone to take some time off to go take in the Memorial Cup in a different part of the country. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, and there's people, I mean, junior, they call them the junior hockey junkies here. They go every single year. They go to the Memorial Cup no matter where it is. It's a big bandwagon of, of fans that go out and, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a big deal in our country and uh, a lot of people follow it for sure. A cold beverage or two, right? Probably. Consumed. Yeah. <laughs> few of those. Few of those. <laughs> I'm sure there is. All right. Well, that was a fun little ride. Uh, just you know, learning about that. Uh, you had a year in the uh, in the USHL as well. How did after your you know few years in the with in Kelowna and Regina, um, you end up in the USHL? Walk through that process. You, you know, you had you're probably 19, 20 years old. Why the USHL? Well, I was actually, I went back to, in major junior, the way it works is you're only allowed three 20-year-old players on your team. So my last year of junior hockey um, in Regina, we had eight returning 20-year-olds that were 19 the year before. So I was one of those and I ended up going to training camp and I got, I got released from the team. I wasn't one of the ones that had made it. Um, so in the league, there's a waiver period that's 24 hours. And if you don't get claimed by a team, you essentially become a free agent. You can go where you want. Um, and at that time, um, my advisor agent at the time had a relationship with the coach in Lincoln, who was Jimmy McGrory. Um, and they had taken a player from the Western league the year before a goaltender by the name of David Rickey, who went down and had an exceptional year for them. So they were looking to do the same thing. And my advisor told me, you know, this is a pretty good opportunity down here, Kurt. It's not that far from Winnipeg. It's only 10 hours south, which Dead South, right? Can still come watch you. Yeah, dead you South. Need a, and, you, you, know, turn right. you know, it's a straight shot, you know? <laughs> no, exactly. It's a straight shot. And so, you know, it was something I thought, you know what, I've been in the league, Western League, for four years now. And, you know, why not give this opportunity a try, an opportunity to see a new league, a new city, and that. And ended up going down there. And, um, yeah, it was a great, it was a great experience for the, uh, Lincoln was a, it was a cool town. Obviously they got the Cornhuskers there. I got introduced to uh, college football. football and yeah, college football. I hadn't been, never had been to a game before and now I was cheering for, you know, the Cornhuskers and that was a, yeah, obviously a surreal experience of how passionate the fans were down there about that team. And uh, it was a, it was a good year. We had a good club that year, ended up losing in the, uh, in the, I think it was the East final, I guess the Northeast final. Yeah. That year to, Fargo um they ended up losing Indiana in the final but uh, yeah it, it was a it was a fun year down there and something that uh it was yeah something I never thought I would have been doing but uh, definitely a neat experience so you're 20 years old um at this point uh the way the Western Hockey League works you've got your college education fully funded at the, after playing four years were you thinking of going professional and forfeiting that money or are you always at that point in 1820 you're thinking i'm going to go play college hockey in canada yeah i think you know as i was going through the western league i mean the goal was to get drafted and uh you know try to try to get an nhl contract go play in the american league and that and when that didn't end up happening for me i was once i became an older player you know you start thinking about what's the next step and uh for me education and my family was really important and but I was going to try to play any pro hockey. I was going to go and get my education and play Canadian University hockey, which um, I got that opportunity in Waterloo, which is a, a town just a, 
about an hour west of Toronto, Kitchener Waterloo. Kitchener actually has a Ontario hockey league team there, and Waterloo's the, connected to that same city. So got the opportunity to go there and use my fully funded scholarship package from from the Western Hockey League that they provided me and play four years of uh, Canadian University hockey, which was again another, another great experience and a real real hidden gem in Canada with uh, how good Canadian University hockey is with all the players that finish playing major junior hockey and don't go on to pro. This league is primarily just filled with Western League, OHL, and Quebec Major Junior League alumni. So you're playing in this league. I mean, how strict of a training regimen do you have at that level versus a, 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 a U.S. NCAA player? You know, I think it's um, it's quite similar. I think it's a little different in the fact that um, the U.S., the NCAA kids are, you know, they're they're really focused still on on trying to get that. Um, they're, they're probably primarily focused number one on hockey there. Whereas the Canadian University, once you get to that level, you've been through major junior hockey where you've taken your swing at, at pro hockey, right. and you're still trying. You're still trying to, but studies are are extremely important at that point too. You know. So I think you have a lot more of a focus on schooling with still having that focus on hockey at the same time. Whereas, you know, depending on the program in the NCAA, I think uh, a lot of the focus is still on hockey. But but there are still some programs there where it'd probably be education first and hockey second too. But so... But very similar schedules, I would say. You know, you're still Play going to the rink every day, working out, playing on the weekends. So I think that landscape is very similar. Did you ever consider, after going to a sitting in uh, University of Nebraska football stadium, 100,000 people, did you ever think, hey, I might want to go here <laughs> and just be a college kid? Did that ever cross your mind? Uh, you know, I don't think it did. I just always, always wanted to get my degree in Canada. I think the one thing with getting a degree in Canada is it's primarily is where I'm going to probably live the rest of my life. It's mm-hmm. where I'm going to want to work. And so I think that degree was probably just a little bit more applicable to getting a job and moving forward in Canada. But uh, yeah, so I mean, Waterloo was a great experience. Like I said, it's only an hour outside of Toronto. So I got the opportunity to go to a lot of Blue Jays games and go into the big city to watch the Leafs play a lot. So it was still a great opportunity and a great place to be through <laughs> through my early 20s. Yeah, you, you, I, when you look at where you've lived and what you've seen as a 30-year-old, you've seen pretty much every square inch of North America, whether except maybe the southeast part of the country here. But you've seen a lot uh, in your career. Uh, what's your favorite part of, of North America from a, from a visitor's perspective? You know, I really have enjoyed my time. If we're talking Canada, I mean, I've, I love my time in B.C. I think uh, anytime you get the opportunity to go through the Rocky Mountains and get into the Okanagan Valley and Kelowna and these small little towns, it's a, it's a beautiful place to be. And, uh, and if I'm talking about the United States, um, now that I'm a little bit older in my life, I got the opportunity to travel down the, the coast of California and, and spend a lot of time in a lot of the little small towns down there and it's been that's been fantastic too so those are probably two of my favorite spots that i would say that i've enjoyed traveling to so you're at in your career you know now you're the general manager of uh, a western league team do you travel as much now as you did when you worked for the league i would say it's very similar very similar travel schedule i mean primarily as a general manager you do a lot of scouting as well we have a head scout uh director of scouting jamie porter who does it's 100% focused on scouting, whereas the general manager, you know, you, a lot of your time is focused on the team and then 
you know, you got this other half of it, you focus on scouting, but uh, yeah, you're traveling primarily with the team. You're traveling to events to scout players. You're traveling to see your prospects that you have within your system and recruit them and talk to their families. So um, then you're traveling for league meetings. So there's definitely no shortage of travel within the job. That's for sure. Are you doing any pre-scouting of, of opponents or do you pretty much know what you got every night when you're lining up? All the, all the pre-scouting and that, you know, that's primarily the coaching staff that takes takes care of all that. You know, really anything to do with opponents that, uh, from a management standpoint, is, you know, evaluating other players for any type of movement and just really, you know, continuing to keep up on where other players in those programs' development is in case you, you have a trade opportunity that comes up. So you have, uh, working in a, in a Western League, let's talk, focus, shift the focus to the Western League. There's been a lot made here in Minnesota. Why, why do they even bother drafting these Minnesota kids? They never go there. I think a lot of, the, a lot of this comes down to education. Um, for example, now the, the, the scholarship package. Walk through what the scholarship package used to be and, and how it maybe has changed a little bit here in the last year or so. Yeah, I know the scholarship package, I mean, for American players, it's still very advantageous. Um, for each year that a player plays in the Western Hockey League, they get a year of tuition and uh, textbooks, for, and it's the equivalent of um, the amount of tuition that you would get within your state at a publicly funded university, the maximum amount at that university. So so use, um, using here, for, University of Minnesota's $24,000, they would get a full year scholarship to the University of Minnesota. Yeah, I, know, I think the number that they get in Minnesota right now from in speaking with the, the league is $14,000 per year for Minnesota. Okay, That's the formula that they came up for that player. Um, so each year that's uh, what they would get set aside for them and uh, – and then obviously their textbooks as well. So it's a pretty good, uh, well, it's a very good financial assistance package that is provided for the player. And uh, right now for players, the way it's changed a little bit is if a player sign, signs a uh, standard player agreement in the Western Hockey League now, uh, those clubs have the opportunity to give them three years of scholarship benefits up front. So, so for a player they, for Minnesota, really... So you're saying one year they could get a $42,000 scholarship to an American university. That's right. They, wow. can get that, they can get that up front for signing a standard player agreement. now. How new is that? School. That that seems like it's new to me. Yeah, it just got passed this year. And, um, you know, it's something with, with an American player, a player from Minnesota. I mean, if it's, the thing about it is it's guaranteed. You know, there's you're not, there's no verbal commitments. There's none of that. It's really, you're, when you're signing the standard player agreement, you're entering into a, you know, a, a, essentially a contracted piece of paper it's between you and the family and everything is housed at the league office. And that's where you'd be getting 42 us for um, signing that standard player agreements, three years of tuition uh, pretty much up front. And there is one catch to this. And I just want to make sure everyone's educated on this. If they end up signing a, any professional hockey c- uh, contract, it could be the lowest level of professional, you forfeit that that uh, money because they're assuming you're playing professionally. You could then f- afford to pay for your own education, correct? Yeah, like the, and just so it's, it's clear, like the Western Hockey League isn't a professional league, but um, there's professional – there's guys with playing in the league that have – signed NHL contracts. So you're competing against guys that have signed contracts already. So your eligibility is um, for NCAA hockey. If you play a game in the Western Hockey League, 
Um, if you sign a standard player agreement with the Western Hockey League, or if you uh, break the 48-hour window for recruitment in the Western Hockey League, you lose your NCAA eligibility. But anything else to do with the league is good. If you want to attend training camps, development camps, rookie camps, um, go in on a 48-hour visit to see the club, see the team play, any of that, um, you're definitely allowed to do without affecting your NCAA eligibility. All right, so this, the, the horror stories that you will hear uh, is that people will go there and they'll be uh, you know, hoodwinked into signing a contract. Have you ever been part of a hoodwinking of an American player into signing a contract, Kurt? I have not. I'm, I'm only two years into the job, but at the same time, I think uh, I speak for all the GMs in the Western League. You know, that's... Uh, we, the teams in the league, they just don't sign players to, to sign them. Really, if you're signing a player, you have you want them to be a part of your organization. You're, you're especially an American player. You got to think right now if you're giving them three years of education out front, that's forty two thousand U.S. dollars. I don't. There's not any. There's no teams up here that are hoodwinking guys to, to sign contracts for forty two thousand U.S. If you're going to sign a guy, you want him to be a part of your program, and you want that to be the right, the best decision for the player as well. I mean. We truly understand that players from Minnesota, they have a lot of great options. They have the option to potentially play NCAA hockey, to play in the USHL, North American League. But um, at the same time, they have the option to play in the Western Hockey League as well. So um, not saying it's for every player, but for a lot, some players in Minnesota, it might be a path that they should truly consider, and it might be a good path for them. A lot of players in our league um, have, have come from there before, and they've had careers in the Western Hockey League and have moved on to play pro hockey. Uh, you talked about one of those players that you played against, Peter Mueller. Um, as a youth, he was he played he's from Bloomington. He played in the Western League and, and also Dustin Bufflin as well. Walk walk through uh, some of the other the, the, the success that they've had playing pro hockey. Yeah, I actually played against both of them. When I was 16 in Kelowna, Bufflin was on uh, the Prince George Cougars in the league, so he was a he was a scary guy to be on the ice against when you're, when you're a young 16 year old kid. And this guy's a big monster that can really hammer the puck. I think um, he was probably a big monster when he was 12 too, right? <laughs> I, I'm not doubting that for sure. He was, he was an exceptional player in the league. And then I remember obviously playing against Peter when I was younger. And then he ended up coming and playing for the Everett silver tips. And he was an absolute star in the Western league. He was, I remember when I was 18, we played them. Or 17, sorry, we played them in the second round of the playoffs, and he was only a 17-year-old on our team, and he was pretty much responsible for single-handedly almost eliminating our team. He was an exceptional player, and you know he ends up coming to the league and having a good career here and getting drafted eighth overall to Phoenix and spending some time in the National Hockey League. I know that got cut short because of some concussion stuff, but he's still playing over in Europe. And then, obviously, Dustin Bufflin uh, uh, just retired. had a lot of good years in the Western Hockey League, and uh, he retired now, but he ended up going on to the NHL, winning Stanley Cup with Chicago, and being uh, a, stay, a, a great presence in the city of Winnipeg and a Winnipeg Jet for a long time. Yeah, I mean, we can we, hope, we can only hope that uh, he'll come back and, and play again. Uh, you just never know with with Buff. You know, he's kind of he's been on his own island his whole life, don't you think? One of those kind of players. Yeah, yeah. No, there's some some players are like that, but I guess at the same time, it's amazing uh, the career he was able to pass out, carve out for himself. Considering uh, you know he's not your traditional uh, player in, in the sense of training and the way he looks on the ice and the way he plays the game, but uh, he was such an effective player and he made he found a way to make it work. 
So this year, the WHL had a USA draft. Um, what a perfectly timed draft, uh, considering the NCAA, from a strategic perspective, the NCAA has has tightened up its recruiting ability for, for 10th graders. I, I believe you can't even commit to a college until you're about to become a junior in high school, where you guys are, you're, you're drafting kids that are freshmen in high school. Uh, this year's 05s are freshmen, primarily freshmen. So... You guys have about a year and a half of recruiting uh, players once they've been drafted. Do you think this is going to be a major effect on the on the Western League and getting Minnesota and U.S. players to come to your league, or maybe just a minor effect? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's gonna. It's definitely going to help. I mean, the, the U.S. draft. We now have forty four players being selected in the league that are all you know, first and second round picks. They're they're all getting the opportunity to be exposed and be on the big scale on draft day and all that. So it's a great opportunity for, for these players to see another option that they have available to them. And I think it's going to help teams in the Western hockey league showcase their programs to them a little bit more, make mom and dad a little bit more comfortable with what these programs have to offer. And I think you're going to see a lot more kids come up to training camps and really get an idea for what that program is all about. Um, in regards to whether it's going to be a major or a minor shift, I think for the league, it's going to be the, the more years that we have it, it's going to be baby steps at the start. But as the thing continues to grow and people in the United States become more aware of it, it's going to, I think it's going to be huge for the Western Hockey League. I think some of the major um, changes you can see off the start is maybe from some of those states that um, have a little bit more knowledge about the Western Hockey League, like the California, the yeah. Texas, and the Colorado. Some of those players are going to probably be a little bit more prone. They have the education. They understand the league a little bit more. So I think you're going to see a lot more of those players coming up now. Um, and then I think Minnesota, it's going to be, I think it's going to be baby steps. Again, it's not uh, primarily, it's not an area where a ton of players come up, but there's, there's some that do every year. Players come from there and play in the Western League. So I think this is just going to expose some of those players a little bit more and you know, again, it, uh, some players still want to play NCAA hockey and you grew up in Minnesota wanting to play there. And that's good for those players. That's the, their choice. And, you know, it's not a bad route for them. But at the same time, for those players that, uh, you know, are looking for a different opportunity or maybe want to, you know, come and play in one of the greatest development leagues in the world, the Western Hockey League, and try to become a pro hockey player right away, then this is a good route for those high-end players right away that want to come and make put their mark on their junior hockey careers. So let's walk through the, uh, the this USA draft as an example. So in the past, and you were involved both as the league and with, with Edmonton in the past, uh, even like a, a Chaz Lucius, arguably one of the best O3s in the world at the time, still is if you ask me, um, he doesn't get drafted until like the fifth round. And it's kind of like, eh, oh, by the way. But now if you're a first-round U.S. draft pick, it's a little bit. It's it's the same, but it's it's still a little bit different, don't you think? From a marketing perspective, like you're going to get a little bit more attention. You're going to probably give it a little bit more thought to come to camp and just kind of check things out versus being a ninth round pick or a twelfth round pick, like in the old days. Well, I think it was just the perception that the right. players. I think it's tough. I think it's tough as a player to understand that if you're picked late. You maybe feel like the organization doesn't want you, but that's truly not the case. It's the fact of the matter is before when we had the draft, you know, these players have, like I talked about, they got more options. So it's risky to take a player high in the draft if you don't know if they're committed to the league. So often teams would take the Canadian kids first that 
you know, are a hundred percent coming to the league. They grew up the watching. They grew up watching the Memorial <laughs> Cup, right? Versus a kid exactly. who grew up so you, watching the Frozen Four or the Gophers or whatever, right? Yeah, so you would take those guys first, and you know, a guy like Lucius. Everybody in the Western Hockey League knows he's a great player. He could be a top five pick in that old that old style of draft, top three pick, whatever he would have been. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he's not committed to the league, so he gets pushed down to being a fifth rounder or whatever it may be. Whereas now, you know, it gives the teams the opportunity to really show their appreciation for these U.S. players and put them in their own draft where they're getting selected, where they should get selected in, in those high rounds and, you know, getting that opportunity to be exposed to where they actually do rank with their peers. I think this, and oddly enough, this isn't a call about COVID, but I think the COVID-19 uh, cancellation of our the Minnesota HP program, the U.S. Uh, U15 uh, program national camp won't happen this year. That's been canceled. And, and I know that uh, Canada will open up maybe in late August is right when your camps are actually happening. This might be a boon for some of those, for you guys, from your clubs, getting these kids to come to your camp because mom and dad might have an extra $500 laying around that they had, would have spent on these other camps and they might have some money and maybe want to take a trip to Edmonton or Portland or Seattle or whatever club that they were drafted by yeah for sure and i mean and at the same time too for some of these players in the u.s draft that a team took in the first round you still have that 48 hour window where you can bring a player in so technically they they don't need to spend those funds i mean you know you can look at potentially bringing one of your first and second round u.s pick in like and showcasing them to your program for 48 hours and then they can go back out so at the same time covid i think has stopped teams from obviously teams might have the opportunity to do that but yeah, once training camps open in August, uh, the families, you know, they could, uh, you know, just go up to a training camp or a team could look to bring some of those players in and uh, showcase their programs that way. It's a great recruiting tool. I know that just from personal experience, I'm going to say some names here and jaws might drop, but I, I, I I know that Jimmy Snuggerud, who's a national development kid, Bobby Brink, uh, who's playing college hockey now. I know Joe Miller, who's going to probably play college hockey at University of Minnesota. These are all guys that uh, Max Burkholder, our Bantam Player of the Year last year, these are kids that all made trips to, to Western League clubs and, and checked out checked it out. And and, and I think if, if you ask those kids, they'll tell you it was a great experience to learn that they're learn about the Western League and learn about your clubs. Oh, for sure. I think it's, at the end of the day, I think even if a player, you know, they 100% want to play in the NCAA or they want to go to the USHL and they don't have any interest, I still think it's a great it's a great experience to come up and take part in the camp and see what it's all about. I mean, um, you might get the opportunity. I remember my first training camp, I went to Kelowna and I got put on, when I went on to the main camp, I got put on Shea Weber's team at main camp. So I was here, I was, you know, I was 15 years old and I was playing with a guy that was already drafted to the NHL and had signed an NHL contract. And I was getting some of that exposure in camp to be around a guy like that, where, you know, like here in Edmonton right now, we got a player that got drafted in the second round last year to the New York Rangers, Matthew Robertson. We should have a first round pick this year in Jake neighbors. And then we have one of the, arguably the best O threes in the world and Dylan Gunther, who we took right. first overall in the WHL Bantam draft uh, three years ago who's uh, up for rookie of the year this year. So just having the opportunity to be around some of those players is, you know, it's great for your development and uh, great to showcase yourself that way again further.
I, that's what I kind of foresee is happening. Like, you know, if the, oh, Joe Miller went there, I can, I can go there. You know, I, you know, these, these names showing up at camps and learning. And, and I think my takeaway from interviewing these kids after they've returned from these trips was it was a fantastic experience. No one's ever left the camp going, well, that sucked. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a tradition, a great experience to learn against great players and to kind of see what's out, what else is out there for hockey development. No, exactly. And a lot of our teams up here, they have, you know, you get the opportunity to learn from some of the exceptional coaches that we have, skill development coaches, uh, skating coaches, you know, those training camps there. It's a great hockey development development opportunity for you as a player. Now, here's your time to brag a little bit about uh, your organization. Uh, I, I, I get to see you every summer when I go up to the brick and we get to uh, we get to go out to lunch and, and shoot the bowl a little bit. But one on one of my trips to the, to the Brick, uh, you gave me a tour of your facility. And, and I won't do it justice explaining what a kid who plays for the Edmonton Oil Kings gets to participate in on a day-to-day basis in your in your facility. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's one of the facilities probably second to none in the, in the world right now for a hockey arena, obviously. Uh, we Our organization is owned by the Edmonton Oilers, so we get to play it. You know, at Rogers Arena, where uh, Rogers Place, where uh, the Edmonton Oilers play. So it's a uh, great facilities. Obviously, our dressing room is it's, it's unbelievable. It's like having a, a pro dressing room, and just obviously the facility um, itself in regards to you know with everything, the fan experience. The I mean, you saw the jumbo the the big screen, Tony. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's nice. I mean, I've been there twice. I, you gave me a tour in the summer, and then I went up there for the John Reed a couple of years ago, and got to see a game and interview Todd Scott and kind of get to see the whole locker room. And it's like a professional hockey game. It's as close to a professional hockey game as you'll see. Yeah, it truly is. And I mean, in across the CHL too. I mean, our team leads leads the CHL in attendance are in the top three almost every year. So, uh, you know, during the week and on the weekends, we have some exceptional games. We have a Teddy Bertoff game where the arena sold out to so 18,000 fans, you know, on the weekends, we're usually averaging anywhere between seven and 10,000 fans a game. So it's, uh, it's an amazing experience for a player to get that opportunity to play in front of that many people. And uh, the atmosphere is, Unbelievable. The, uh, the the my takeaway from 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 your organization um, is that it, it's it's a twenty dollar ticket versus a hundred dollar ticket to go see the Oilers. So this is it's that it's it's somewhere where you can bring a family and you know you can bring your three kids and not go broke. Yeah, it's such a family atmosphere. You know, it's it's a lot looser. In the just you know the. The games itself, you know, kids are running around, they're having fun, they're dancing on the jumbotron, you know, there's t-shirt tosses, there's a, the mascots are running around and there's a little bit of everything for it. It's really a, it's really a family atmosphere. And like you said, you, um, you know, you can bring your whole family, a family of four for 80 bucks or whatever it may be. And if you have season tickets, it even goes, it even goes down a lot more. So it's, uh, yeah, it's great in the city of Edmonton here, you know, it's got, we have a huge following and, uh, it's uh, such a great atmosphere from game in, game out. All right, I got a controversial Oil Kings question for you. You guys used to have these really cool black and uh, optic green old school, really cool jerseys. Why'd you get rid of them? You're we the... still have them. Oh, you still have them? Okay, I thought you guys were getting rid of that look officially this year. I just think it's the coolest looking thing ever. I think it's, uh, no, we still have them. It's used as a kind of a third jersey. It just the team only wears them like, I think, 
every eighth game or whatever it may be. So you don't see them as option as often, but uh, yeah, no, it's still it's still there for sure. Very very popular. I think it's a real cool look. All right, so as you build a team, we got two more topics here. I want to talk about uh, you're the general manager, so you're the mastermind behind you know bringing in the players, uh, you know working with the coaching staff. What is the formula? What is the what is the formula that you're trying to build as far as a culture in Edmonton for for a uh, major junior team? Yeah, you know, we really we focus on a little bit of everything. I mean, the biggest areas for us is with where the game's going, obviously, skating and skill. You know, those things are at the top of our list for any player we're going to bring into our organization. They need to be elite in both those areas. Um, you know, character is such an important part of it. I think uh, we want to make sure that we're bringing good people into our organization. And, you know, a lot of times we're picking players that were captains or assistant captains of their teams. And, you know, like this year in the U.S. draft, I mean, they can – relate to a player out of Minnesota that we took with our second pick and John Novak. And he's a, he's a guy that is an exceptional skater. He's got great skill. Puck moving ability is, is outstanding. And, you know, one of the things that attracted us a lot to John was the fact that uh, he's a true leader and captain of his team. And his maturity level is so far beyond a lot of 14 year old kids at that age that uh, he was a player that we were extremely attracted to and thought uh, he would be a good person uh, to bring into our dressing room and into our organization. Uh, I'm glad you brought Johnny up because I had him as uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about. Um, I, during the course of a season leading up to him being drafted, how many times do you talk to a kid like that? Is it is it never? Uh, how much research do you do before you actually pull the trigger on a kid like Johnny? Well, I think it's, you know, the first stage is obviously evaluation where our head scout and myself go down into Minnesota and, you know, you start watching a lot of the tournaments, a lot of the high school games, uh, the Bantam, the Bantam League and the, the most Moose Goheen tournament, a lot of those different events. I mean, you get a lot of intel on, on players and, you know, then you start to talk to some of the players and just understand where, what their interest level is, like what's their understanding on the Western Hockey League, how educated are they, do they have any interest in attending camps and, you know, and then, and then after that point, you know, you start to dive into it a little bit more, try to get to know the player as a person a little bit more, have that conference call with the families and have those in, in-person meetings with them if you can set those up. And, you know, that's kind of the protocol we took with John. And, you know, we were at first, that's number one, the thing that we like about him, obviously, is him as a player. Right. And, um, you know, he was a guy that seemed to have a, you know, a little bit, a little bit of an understanding about what the Western Hockey League was and, you know, he was a guy that we loved as a player too. And with that, his, his education on the league and um, what he can bring on the ice, he was a guy that we liked with our second pick and a guy that we thought uh, could be a player that could help the organization out in the future. And, you know, for him, he's still going to be a player that's going to have options. He'll have that option of potentially going and getting an NCAA scholarship, maybe going and playing in the USHL. Those options are still there for him, but the Western Hockey League is an option for him too. And he's a player that understands that there's multiple routes, multiple options out there. And, uh, he'll get the opportunity to come up to Edmonton and see what our program has to offer for him. I think it would be fantastic for him uh, just to get that opportunity to go to camp like you, like like a wide-eyed kid like you were playing with Shane, Shea Weber. It's the same for him, don't you think? Yeah, no, I guess exactly. You come up to camp here and potentially get paired up with Matthew Robertson, as I, as I mentioned earlier, who's a second-round pick for the New York Rangers, signed an NHL contract, so... Uh, those are some experiences that are just invaluable and that you, you'd never get back. 
So Johnny's the type of player. Um, do, do you think he'd be the type of player that would come up to a camp? I mean, it would be. I'm just more interested to see more and more of these Minnesota kids going to the camp for just just for the experience itself. Yeah, I think so. I think he's the kind of he's you know he's interested at just in in the league and has an understanding of what it's all about. At the same time, he's probably still interested in the other routes that he may want to go. But I think. Uh, He's open to exploring um, and just being uh, being shown what the what the Western Hockey League is about and what the Edmonton Oil Kings organization is about. All right. Uh, last but not least, let's talk about some of the players that that you've played with uh, throughout your years. There's been a ton of them through the Western League that you've played with. Uh, you and I assembled a top five list. I'm going to ask you to talk about those guys before we wrap up the show. So number five on your list was Tyler Myers. What was it like playing against Tyler Myers? But that was a load, right? Oh, he's a big guy. He played on my team in Kelowna. Uh, we were together there for one season, and he's he's an exceptional defenseman, big big kid, big range. I mean, when when he first came there, this kid there when they're sixteen, he was I mean he was six six, but he only probably weighed on his fifty pounds. So he's obviously grown into his body a little bit more now. And I know he's playing for the Vancouver Canucks now. Spent some time with the Jets in Buffalo, and but yeah, he was a great guy, great individual, and a great hockey player. All right, Luke Shen is number four on your list. Um, no surprise who number one is going to be, but who? Talk, talk a little bit about Luke. Yeah, Luke's a guy you know I still keep in, in contact with. He's uh, out in Tampa, played in Tampa Bay last season out there, and um, his brother obviously just won a Stanley Cup with uh, the St. St. Louis Blues last season. Um, yeah, Luke spent time or played for a, a bunch of teams in, in the National Hockey League, but as a you know your stay-at-home defenseman. Uh, I have a, probably one of my strongest relationships when I was playing Colonel with Luke. He's a huge character. He's got a lot of personality and I always enjoy spending time and talking with him. Um, Colonel was really a factory for, for having defensemen move on to the National Hockey League. They, they're really known for that. I'll never forget uh, when, oh, God, it was um, the guy from uh, the Adam Foote when he had his, his two sons. Uh, they were, one was the older one, Callan was in uh, Kelowna, and his younger son, I can't remember what his first name is. Do you remember what his first name is, the the other no. kid? He's a 2000, and I remember uh, they were, he was considering playing, um, uh, Callan was potentially going to consider playing in, in NCAA, and it all kind of depended on whether they could get the 2000 kid into Kelowna. I'm like, well, what's the big deal about, I was talking to some WHL scout, I'm like, what's the big deal about playing in Kelowna? The guy goes, Tony, have you ever been to Kelowna? I'm like, uh, no, what's Kelowna? And then he pulled out his phone, did a quick picture of the Kelowna, you know, a skyline of Kelowna. He goes, this is why people go to Kelowna. Because it's just, you know, it's like Penticton. It's a beautiful part of the Rocky Mountains. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great and uh, the team's, uh, it's been a successful team. They've done a good job with their organization developing players for pro hockey. Okay, Alexander Edler, another defenseman. Yeah, another defenseman. He, he was a player. He, I only played with him for one season. Um, he came over from Sweden and was one of our import players. So you're allowed to two import players per team in the Western Hockey League, and we have import draft and all that as well. So, but yeah, no, another exceptional player still playing for uh, the Vancouver Canucks and been an assistant captain there for the past few seasons. He's uh, been there forever. Really yeah, he's been there. He's drafted there, and he's always been there. He's another one of those Swedish players, kind of like the Sedin. The Sedins that played there, they seem to, uh, once they get them, they don't let them go. 
And Vancouver, talk about a great place to play if you're going to play in in the western half of the United States or Canada. That's a a very cool city to live in. Yeah, no, it truly is, and another another great city and organization in the Western League, the Vancouver Giants. They do an, another team that does a tremendous job, and uh, you know, lots of good players have come through that organization as well and moved on to pro hockey. All right, the last two, Jordan Eberle is a guy that you played with. Now that's that's a big name. Yeah, no, I played with him in uh, Regina, and you know, the amazing thing about him was he was such a late round Bantam pick. He was a real small player at that age, and then just you know, grew into grew, grew a little bit, and the the skill that he had in his hands were amazing. Probably some of the best hands I ever played with. It was it was automatic. If that guy, if he had the puck and he's on a two on one, it was an automatic goal every time. And he didn't he, he didn't miss too often. And obviously, he's done the same at the NHL level with his time in Edmonton and now with the Islanders. All right, last player you've mentioned Shea Weber a few times. Uh, he was a big boy when you got there. How many years did you play with him? Uh, I got to play with him for uh, two seasons. Uh, he was, yeah, he was a true leader on our back end. He was a big, he's obviously a big guy. And uh, he was somebody that actually never even got drafted in the Western Hockey League Bantam draft. He ended up being listed after the draft and uh, fought his way onto the team and ended up being a second round pick to the Nashville Predators and signing a pro contract out of the Western Hockey League. All right, uh, we I like to do this segment at the end. It's called the One Last Story. We talked before the show about uh, when you were growing up in Winnipeg. Uh, you were on a, a marathon. This is the oddest thing I've heard. A marathon team. Explain what the marathon team was, and then Jonathan Taves' role on this marathon team. It sounds kind of funny. Yeah, it was interesting when I was young. I mean, we would train in the off season a lot, uh, and as I mentioned, you didn't really have your typical strength and conditioning training facility you went to you did stuff outside on your own you ran a lot and that was one of the things I did was you know I was always on the cross-country team at at school and would do a lot of running for my training and you know our our summer hockey team there the junior jets there were five guys on the team and we all kind of liked to run and we said you know what uh, this Manitoba marathon that takes place every year they have a a part of it called the relay and it's you know five guys each run approximately five miles and uh, you hand off the bracelet the baton and you know, there's a hundreds upon hundreds of teams that enter this thing. So we decided to put a team in and yeah, Jonathan Taves was one of the, one of the people that was a part of that team. And I, I remember each and every year, how good he was. He was an amazing runner. He could just move it to the next level mentally. I think when, when your legs start to feel tired, he starts running faster. It was kind of the mindset that he has obviously why he's such a great player in the NHL now. But uh, I remember the first year, I think we were like 11 we got 50th place and then we were 12, You're 11 we years old you're 11 years old yeah i was 11 years old and we just kind of <laughs> as it went on i think our, the last year we ran we were 14 and we got second place in this marathon relay which was after that i think we said i don't think we're ever going to beat the, the university men's running program so i think we just packed it in after that we said second was pretty good that's not bad, though. I mean, I could just imagine, you know, a bunch of 12, 13-year-old hockey players out there running down some, you know, real cross-country runners, right? I mean, this is the this is the, the peak of the peak yeah. in your province. Well, it probably helped that we were all, like, 125 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No no question about it. No question about it. Well, this is a really good time. I, I appreciate it. I think uh, our, our listeners will be a lot smarter. They'll they'll definitely know what the, the Memorial Cup is when they hear that in conversation and a little bit more about the, the scholarship package and, 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 the, and the package that you bring as a young uh, executive in, the, in, in junior hockey. And I wish you the best of luck, and I'm glad you were able to spend some time with me. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on the show, Tony. And it's always good to see you up here at the Brick Tournament every year and get to catch up uh, over over a lunch. All right. Well, hopefully we'll have a Brick Tournament this year, and hopefully we'll see you sometime this summer, Kurt. Hill from the uh, Edmonton Oil Kings. Thanks for joining us today, Kurt. Thank you.